0: pandemic got us into a reflective space and made us look inward to see what we can do for the world at large as a self-expression coach I became a catalyst for women and started Vani a one-on-one coaching program for women on finding their voice to speak up to be visible as a storyteller, I spotted that there were many ordinary people amongst us leading extraordinary lives making a difference to the world and they needed to be heard. Thus was born You and I with Rashmi Shetty, where amazing personal journeys with their uniqueness and individuality are showcased, a reaffirmation of the fact that Open your eyes wider, the world is far more beautiful when we acknowledge the presence of both you and I. Our guest today is Coach Sahar. Sahar helps individuals to make better decisions and lead their life with purposeful clarity. For those who want to master their untamed mind and develop the art of emotional, social and spiritual intelligence, Sahar is the go-to clarity coach. Through her coaching interventions, training sessions and residential retreats, she handholds one towards self-awareness, health, fulfilling relationships, career growth and spiritual well-being. Working closely with business leaders, CEOs, coaches, trainers, healers, and therapists, Sahar believes she is blessed to empower the change makers to enable well-being, growth, and healing in others. Apart from coaching and training, she has amazing retreats on self-discovery and mindfulness, tapping into your ultimate potential, and write your book. Listen in as Sahar shares her amazing journey. Hi, Sahar. I'm so thankful you have agreed to come on UNI with Rashmi Shetty. The first thing that I want to know is what was pretty Sahar like as a little girl? The life of little Sahar to the Sahar, the clarity coach, the healer that people know today. So if you can take us on that journey, it'll be awesome.
1: Hi, Rashmi. Thank you for having me. such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so the little Sahar had (laughs) physically similar kind of hairstyle. (laughs) And I think I was a very observant child. And I had my naughtiness in a very different way. I wasn't a destructive child, but I had my ways of doing naughty things. In the sense, I would observe elders. I would record their dialogues and whenever they would say something co- which was contradicting to what I had heard before, then I would actually burp, blurp it out. <laughs> so <laughs> usually they didn't like me around when they were lying <laughs> <because> <laughs> I would, and I had a very sharp memory. So I would do that and uh, Rajmi, is interesting that size wise, I didn't grow like I could wear the same outfits my mom had bought me when I was three or four year old, when I was actually in class seven also. So I had remained so tiny and short and yeah. And then what I remember is that I was very fond of reading and numbers. And even probably from the age two or three, because my dad taught me how to read. And my first book was of George Orwell, you know, the animals. So I was reading as a zoo. <laughs> now I understand it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) with that time and uh, yeah and I became a parent to my parents very early so I think I didn't have too much of a childhood childhood thing I was always a responsible one but then I was a little cunning like if I would have a fight (laughs) with my elder brother I would really trouble him and then when I would realize okay now this is a point of no return and he's gonna really hit me or do something I would sit down and I would start pretending I'm crying and he's so cute and kind, (laughs) he would start hugging me and eventually (laughs) I would win the war. (laughs) Yeah, so I was a different kind of a child, I guess. Not that child, child. I grew up too fast, I think. Oh,
0: okay. And where were your childhood memories completely? Where were you growing up? Uh, And uh, (laughs) where did you study? What did you study? How was all of that?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in different schools and different countries. Um, It's interesting that we traveled a lot because of my elder brother, because he had a speech problem. So we were in different, like we lived in London, then we lived in Germany. We came to India so many times in between. But um, because of all this travel and all this search for, you know, his cure, uh, we li- I lived in different cities and countries and uh, also when we were in uh, Iran for some reason I am now realizing that I kept on changing schools because you know like the moment I would be two years into a school then something would happen just by you know by life itself I would say I would say chance because there's nothing like chance and I had to be put in another school so I was quite a studious child in the sense I would not really study study but I used to grasp everything very quickly so once I am in a class and I've heard it I didn't need to go back and read it as such so because of that then I always also moved to a school which was for you know special children with a higher IQ and I was I studied there for some time and I was about two, two years ahead of my time you know in the sense by the time I was seven I was actually in class Uh, I was finishing class three. I was going to class four. Whereas in Iran for class four, ideally you should be 10 year old because we start schooling at seven. So, um, and that was because of my dad. Probably he wanted that I should cover up for my elder brother. Not that he was not studying, but he was a slower and he really wanted me to do well. And then, yeah, I studied many places. And because of in the later stage because of too much of travelling then um actually i was like equal to other children like by the end of it uh, i was i think at 16 i finished school mm. and um, i did two years of mbbs which i had to leave because my parents decided to relocate to india for my brother's sake um so i studied science basically i picked up um, um, biology chemistry but my my mom really wanted me to be an engineer so she said now you have to do physics and maths so basically i had all subjects <laughs> it was a <like> kiosk always <laughs> yeah so it was yeah that's what i studied
0: you know but you just told us that uh, you could remember all that you read once yeah and so you were the topper invariably in every class that you were in
1: yes i was always amongst the top three in not only in school but in state hmm. uh, I um, graduated from school like 12th by with 98.9 um, hmm. percent where I had all the to- all the subjects like physics, maths, chemistry, bio and, and I would also top in any other activity which was of my interest hmm. but if something was not of my interest then I was put there <laughs> hmm. I would just not perform. i would zap (laughs) i would not do it yes in many ways i think best i would describe myself as a very stubborn child of life i used to be i'm not i'm not affirming it now
0: (laughs) (laughs) so looking back now sahar and uh, seeing that little sahar who was brilliant in uh, just retaining all that she studied changed schools but was able to be amongst the top and uh, was very clear that she would listen to everyone and still have her way you call yourself a clarity coach now you are an energy healer you're a clay clayboy so you do past life regression there's so much you do and so much you know it's always a pleasure listening to you because there's something you leave us with So where did you collect all of this, Sahar? How did life take you and where did life take you? You're an author as well. So here is one person who's a bundle of so much. You definitely are a blessed person for sure. But where did each one enter your life as you progressed? Yeah, so I
1: think... um... I call myself a wanderer, but now that you spoke, I feel probably I've also been a collector. <laughs> I've been collecting a lot of stuff. And you know, from childhood, I, um, I, whatever I would learn, it was not that I would just learn it because I had to give an exam. I would learn it to apply. Like I remember, you know, we used to do physics in class 10th and then we had just learned about the law of spiral, right? So we had to go for an exam and everyone saw me walking towards the narrow side of the spiral, (laughs) staring going up. And they were like, why are you doing this? You know, there's so much of space. I said, you guys don't understand. As per physics, if I walk this side, I will save a lot more energy (laughs) so I can do a better (laughs) business of the game we are going to play, you know. So I would actually, yeah, I would actually apply whatever I learned and the things I could feel that I cannot apply them, like botany. I just couldn't manage to understand. You know, I would barely study it to get through because my dad was a little strict. I mean, a lot just strict with numbers and all. So we had to get a good percentage. But I think, yeah, I have been collecting and then I have been applying. And probably that's my gift because I could do so many things where um, whenever I was doing something, I was reading, I was studying, observing. I'm a very observant person. I observe it. And I don't observe everything, right? I'm I have, I have I'm very selective in my observation. I observe moods, behavior, consequences of the actions, the tones of the voice of people. You know, I am observing in that way, very human and mind and emotion. When did you realize
0: your all of this?
1: When did you start realizing uh, this? I, Rashmi, quite recently, actually. I never, like anyone else, I never believed that I had a gift. Hmm. I never believed in myself to be very honest I shouldn't be saying this as a clarity coach but this is the truth and I want to say it because you know if I could do it anyone can do it I want to be that example that you know oh my god she did it so possibly so I grew up with a lot of disbelief in myself actually because I come from a family where um, you know something I don't want to use the taglines you know but something with the mother and um, so I only learned not to trust myself because of whatever inputs I was receiving from the environment. and from the father I was receiving environment of believe in yourself, you are a blessing, you are a child, you know whatever. <laughs> so it was a lot of conflict within me too whether should I believe in myself is it really true or is it not true you know So quite recently in fact, once in 2017 when I went into uh, I, I decided to go to 90 days of silence. But because a very dear friend's father fell sick with the stage four cancer and they wanted me to heal. So I broke it at 72 days. So once there I realized certain things. And then again, I would say the whole of 2021 was actually a beautiful self-discovery for me. So yeah, quite recently. But now when I look back, like I'm glad because all the things that I felt, they were distractions and they were the things that I was wasting time and energy or made me very different from the other people you know you want to belong you want to be a part of the group you want that you're, because my peers would always say there's something odd about you how can you not have a boyfriend till you know let's say 20 how can you not even have read let's say Mills and Boons ever I've never read it and I used to feel like maybe I'm in the wrong place or something is wrong with me. But now I feel, you know, that divine doesn't do anything, you know, without a reason. So if you have certain qualities, even if they don't match the people around you, but probably those are your gifts and strengths. So yeah, that is how it happened.
0: Oh, then in that case, I'm abnormal too, Sahar. I've never read Vincent Booth. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I. <High five. laughs> So that is something that uh, I really don't miss uh, because uh, I I used to have all my friends reading them, but I was never attracted to read a book. Yeah, same here. Uh, yeah, yeah. So okay, so we are good. <laughs> so <we're> not that problem. <laughs> <abnormal. laughs> but uh, as you finish, okay, two years medicine you could not complete. You moved, and uh, how did your journey into all of? mental wellness because you're amazing when you talk about mental wellness mental detox the recent webinar that you did that i was part of and i really liked how you make it very simple and yet it is very deep who is sahar how would sahar like to describe
1: sahar um so the sahar today i would say if you would have asked me five years ago i would have known even probably I wanted to be someone who is very sought after, liked, you know, whatever, all those fancy stuff. But today I think Sahara is someone who's very much at ease with herself, um, um, continuously working on myself and understanding um, what are the things that would add value to me, you know, so... I would say that today, Sahara is someone who's not ashamed of being a warm person, a little clumsy, bubbly, sometimes in a very good mood and sometimes doesn't want to talk to anyone. So quite at ease with myself. And I think my mantra is um, joy, that I do things if it gives me joy. And if it doesn't give me joy, I may still do it because we all are human, right? Um, sometimes you care for people or people matter to you. So you, you know kind of I would say compromise your boundary or and I think it's human we all should do it once in a while but I had today someone who can say no with ease and um, all that matters to her is to add value and also receive uh, with honor and value so that is (laughs) me but no fuss about anything like I was a Rashmi you won't believe I was such a disciplined organized fussy person that just my presence would make people uncomfortable because I was so appropriate so prompt so proper you know not a word here and there not a smile on my face and and that was also a phase <laughs> when I was in corporate and it was a few years ago and then today I'm like I like to be vulnerable I like to be out there and I also, I'm a person, the Sahar today can see wherever she is dishonest, wherever she's not authentic. And also the reason behind it and why is she doing what she's not doing or why is she not doing what she's not. So I think that's a very good place to be. It's uh, nothing can be perfect, but at least um, working towards what we, I can think as perfection. maybe. <laughs> but yeah, I can't say perfection, but being more of me. And um, I would say, actually claiming my place you know sometimes we have to claim our space in our our own life because we have divorced and disconnected from our own being from what are we like and we dislike because we always want to fit in we always want to um, be seen as someone who is of value who's um, achieving all the doing stuff so today i want to be more of being and it really doesn't matter if someone approves of it or not not anymore (laughs) Okay. so i may sound a little selfish but that's how it is no i think that's very
0: important for mental health that we yeah. approve of who we are rather than wait for the world's yeah. approval because we are not going to get it all the time and uh, if the more dependent we are on that the less happy we are yes uh, so as you go through life sahar and you meet so many different people who come to you as clients what are some of the things that shock you and surprise you about um, us human beings
1: what is it that makes you think why um number one our lack of responsibility towards our own well-being that really shocks me actually and uh, number two lack of um not initiative, I what would be the right word? A willingness. A lack of willingness to even want to make life better. And how, and the third thing would be that how we have got addicted to perform. We are always performing. And it is tiring, you know, it's so tiring to perform. So I think these three things are where I get really shocked and amused that. why why are you doing what you're doing and if you have come to someone who can tell you you shouldn't be doing and it's okay if you don't do it you still do it right so that is where I think and you know it's not a shock anymore but it's like what would it take for you to take charge of your life how difficult can it be you know anyone can do it so when people refuse to do it and when people think someone like me or you or you know someone else is supposed to make their life better and put them on track that's sad that's actually very sad for me honestly uh,
0: from this question organically what i would like to ask you is you said that we can take charge of ourselves and people don't normally what are some of the reasons people don't? Are they in denial or is there something deeper?
1: I think uh, yeah, some are in denial. I believe that they don't even want to see the problem and but the layer beneath that is then uh, then there's no one to blame for Rashmi. then I am the only one responsible then I can't blame. Uh, Sahar or God or mother or mother in law, then I really need to, you know, pull up my socks and do something about it. And we don't want to be the one who's gone wrong. You know, the ego mind doesn't like it. We don't want to admit.
0: Okay. And what is the ego mind like? How does the ego mind even come up? When does it come up? Are we aware that the ego has taken over? Uh,
1: unfortunately, most of the times, no. We are not aware. The ego mind kicks in from the first time the competition for survival happens. And usually it happens in the womb. It would be surprising for you to hear that more than 90% of women don't want to have a child, okay? Or if they want to have a child, they're so fearful of the changes that it will bring to the relationship, to their body, even the fear of delivery and the pain you know how they're going to look like and you know because we associate so much of beauty with our outer appearance especially as women but overall as human beings you know why women think that way is because men have given that kind of advantage to women who look better right so it's a it's a very interwoven (laughs) complex (laughs) but um, so that rejection at the same point at the same time even the child is in the womb That, oh my God, I am causing so much of pain to my mother and maybe she doesn't want me. I'm the cause of her suffering. From there, the ego mind kicks in. Mm -hmm. And then of course, it gets developed and it gets into the mode of, you know, I need to prove to be better. I need to belong. If I don't belong, it means I'm not good enough. I'm not safe. Um, I need to behave in a particular way to be appreciated and loved and the whole system we have you know of reward and punishment for children if you do well you will get a cycle you know (laughs) all the things we do we think the child doesn't observe every child is like the Sahar child you know (laughs) observing everything and recording everything right. And some of us come and use it, some of us forget about it because that becomes way of life. So ego mind is basically a part of us who, who needs to prove its worth. And for doing that, can go to any length of people pleasing, of you know, using power and control, you know, to, to force people for honor, respect, or love, like we say, narcissism, you know, they want to, they want, they demand it. And so, but it comes all from lack of self-worth and then the feeling that I'm separated from others and I need to be in a particular way to be loved and appreciated. Yeah, so, and then it's all doing, you know, you're only worth if you're doing something, if you're achieving the numbers, the statistics, you know, it's all ego. But the, the, the other part of us, the, the subconscious or the soul or um, the part of us which is very connected, Uh, measures everything by how I feel about it it's like okay if I enjoy it like kids you know if they enjoy something they'll repeat it hundred thousand times a day and if they don't like something even if it is the best thing they will not want to even eat it you know so that's that's how we are supposed to be actually childlike that's so true you know
0: and I think that's the reason why children are so happy all the time because they're in the now And uh, as you have seen life, Sahad, and you meet so many different people through the course of your profession, uh, how much is past life regression therapy a huge impact on who you are? Does it help to know who you were in your past life?
1: Okay, <laughs> that's a good question. And I always say it's not really good for everyone to know who they were. And actually, you know, Rashmi, I think uh, this is where most people have taken have mistaken this therapy for. Uh, actually, the therapy is not about who I was in the past. The therapy was what did I miss in the past? Which I, which, for which I have come back to learn, right? So whether I was a king or a pauper or a warrior or a prostitute or a God's you know, son or whatever, it's not important. What did I miss in the past that for which I had to come back and learn? Because now what is the basis of past life regression is we are supposed to evolve and we are supposed to remember. Means we go back and become one with who we were. And the, on earth this is the story that we forget all that we know about the universe and all other universes so inertia happens and when once we are on earth we don't remember even who we are forget about what we are supposed to be doing here so what happens is once we enter the system of the earth which has its own universal laws let's say law of karma law of you know attraction law of oneness because we need to be reminded we have these laws, <clears throat> sorry, because we need to be reminded. All other beings don't need to be reminded. It's a very straight thing. But then they don't have a choice of evolution, and we have. So as per the theory of past life regression or law of karma, whatever goes around comes around. Um, and it means whatever starts from me in whichever way has to come back. Now, in due process of learning this and evolving, I would have missed some lessons somewhere. Let's say I came to learn unconditional love right and I went through this childhood conditioning I didn't remember this was my lesson because I'm unnut. I went through a childhood conditioning where my let's say the mother or stepmother or whoever was in that scenario um, showed me a lot of hatred and told me I'm not good enough now because I don't remember who I was and now I've been told I'm so bad that I need to be hated if I grow up and i start hating in that lifetime and let's say i kill that person i'll have to come back with the same person to, and then this person may become my husband <laughs> now i'm supposed to love a person who hated me and taught me to hate myself so now you can imagine how what will happen in that relationship so when we do past life we want to go back and see what we miss the lessons and sometimes bring back the gifts. Let's say I was supposed to actually author this book. I was told it was a channel thing that I am supposed to write. And my clients one after the other would come through a past life or a soul macrocosm drama. And they all had the same message from their guides that tell her to write. But I couldn't till I went and then I thought that I do this for everyone. Let me find out why am I not writing? So when I went back, I was an author Uh, who wrote a lot of truth and was actually beheaded for it. So the fear, if I write, I'm going to be killed, would not let me write. So the moment I saw that past life, I wrote that book in 42 days. Of course, editing and re-editing and the second, third draft took time, but just to put it down on paper took me 42 days, but I couldn't do it without going back to the past. (laughs) So yeah, that is how the past life regression works okay okay and
0: uh for people who want to uh understand why they be because many masters many lives is a beautiful yeah. book where dr brian was explains what the whole thing is yes. and some of the experiments towards the end where in his workshops the stories that come out are amazing to be true <laughs> they're that amazing <laughs> i know you're like oh my god is this past life regression maybe i'm curious i should find out who i was now everyone may not have the right inputs from the past life that can help them this life. does it always help to heal when you do past life regression is it meant for all
1: um if you have a pressing issue and you have tried a lot and you could not find an answer Um, like let's say I went through a relationship which I just couldn't understand why should this be so so bad you know so disastrous so then I I did all my homework I researched I tried everything and I couldn't so then I had to I went and saw a pastor so I always feel that if you're just curious then no you should not because especially if you don't have a therapist or a seasoned therapist with you then you should not because whenever we open a lifetime we open let's say if you lived 80 years in that lifetime we open the whole 80 years and now if you're curious and you just want to know who you were you open all the wounds of that life also the things that were wrong how you felt at the loss of a loved one what happened but because, you know, that, ther- and you don't have actually an objective and a purpose of doing it. You're just opening your life and it's like open a wound and leave it there. So obviously it's going to become a problem. But if you have a pressing issue and, um, and your therapist should decide whether you need it or not. Like a lot of people come to me with wanting to see past life, but I recognize their issues in the childhood. They don't need a past life for that. So then I suggest inner child to them. So in that case, yes, and then, but it is important, you know, people, uh, even though Dr. Ryan is my mentor and I have a lot of regards, but I feel, you know, just listening to an audio and doing a past life is not a great idea because when you're working with a therapist, you've already discussed things. And when you're in the altered state of mind, she's in her conscious mind. She can apply logic or he can apply logic and realize where all the links are missing. And then guides you to all those corners and clear all the webs. So that once the session is closed, it doesn't need to be revisited. The wound is clean, clear, the stitch back and just put aside. You don't have to go there for the same issue again and again, right? So I feel it is good, but it should be done the right way. Because it's not really past life tourism. <laughs> it's like really therapy. And I say we are the soul surgeons. We are going to cut your soul. So, if you don't let someone cut your body, you should not just let someone cut your soul just like that, right?
0: So, yeah. Oh, wow, I love the word soul surgeon. And uh, talking about the soul, meditation is something that a lot of people went into when they got into yeah. mental well being. And yes. uh, so, everyone's talking meditation, but not everyone knows how to lead people into meditation. It's become the buzzword, the fancy word whose meaning has been very loosely put by each one and defined by the number of people who practice meditation. So yeah. as somebody who has seen mental well-being as part of who you are and uh, what you are, I loved what you said that 2021 was completely reflective for you. Where and how important is meditation for all of us to understand who we are and who we can become?
1: <laughs> sure. Uh, So I think before we get into anything, it's important we understand and study it well and realize if it is good for us or not. And if it is good, then what system of it is good? Because there is, we are 7 billion people and we have 7 billion way of processing information and maybe actually more because there are other beings who are also on earth, but they are not in body, right? So we are actually 28 billion, if I want to really tell you the stats. So then there are 28 billion ways of doing things, right, including meditation. So what I feel is that it's important that people really study something before they you know, just dive into it <laughs> blindly and see if it works for them. And also, um, I do believe meditation is quite a powerful tool, but uh, meditation necessarily doesn't mean that we sit with our eyes closed. What meditation scientifically means is that when we slow down the brain to bring the brain into alpha state of the mind, where the brain is beating about let's say anything from seven to you know 14 cycles per second right So that is where our brain is active yet very productive because it has a slowed down. So that is what meditation is to bring you down to the alpha level level of the mind. So for that, it can be anything. It can be a walk in the nature. It can be painting. It can be when you bake. Anything that can bring and slow down your brain is actually meditation. And in fact, the art of meditation is when you can do it with your eyes open. Because the idea is to become more aware of you, your environment, your thoughts, your emotions. But when, let's say, I close my eyes and start chanting something. Now my whole attention is on the chant. I am losing the purpose of meditation, which was becoming more aware. So we are being mistaken by meditation as a tool of you know, gaining power, psychic powers, become something. Meditation is to let go. It is not to gain, You know how twisted it has become. So anything which helps you to let go is meditation and scientifically, especially if you're sitting with your eyes closed and you are focusing, let's say on your breath, how much ever you meditate it should, should be proportionate to two things. One is your age. Let's say if I'm 40, then I should be meditating not more than 40 minutes. If I do more than 40 minutes, I'm harming. I'm putting this practice out of balance, right? And less than this, of course, it is not good. Ideally, as per my age, the minutes should be you know, equal to the number of my years on this earth. And how much ever now? The second rule is that let's say I meditate 40 minutes. I should be doing some exercise or some form of grounding, let's say gardening, walking in the nature barefoot, sitting with nature, hugging a tree, touching the earth, anything which is grounding or very heavy physical activity for at least 80 minutes a day. Because we, when we meditate, we are trying to access the upper chakras, the upper consciousness. But to thrive on this reality, you need your lower chakras also to be strengthened. And they need, because they are denser, they need twice or sometimes three times as much effort to be on, at a healthy level of being, right? So these proportions and a proper study of what is meditation, what is the purpose of it? Why do I want to do meditation? I mean, it shouldn't be I want to do meditation. It should be I sit and I naturally get into that mode because now I want to become more aware, right? So, if we understand these things and do meditation, then I really feel it is good. Wow, I love this definition where you said meditation is all about
0: letting go. And letting go becomes the biggest uh, byline of mental well being as well, yeah. right? And uh, in the last uh, two years, a lot has shifted for a lot of people. So, when it came to mental well being, where people could openly talk about it and nobody looked at them with a different kind of a lens or glass, and the more people started speaking about it, the more people realized that I too have an issue, I've just not brought it forth. Yes. And now, when you see how talking mental well being, stating that I am not feeling good for some reason, I don't know why, is okay. Yes. It's okay not to be okay. You, do you feel this shift, Sahar, is going to help the entire mankind or the people that you are meeting into moving into a better, calmer world? Uh, was this
1: something that is the biggest outcome of the pandemic? Yeah, I would say two things have been the biggest outcome of pandemic. One is that, or maybe three things actually, Rashmi. One is that people have started valuing connections you know and now connections doesn't mean just your blood relation connection or a childhood friend now they value humanity a little more you know and you can only value humanity a little more because you've become very honest with yourself and now, now you're realizing this whole relationship thing is a two-way traffic it's so isn't supposed to be need-based however it is important to be there at the time of need, right? So I feel, yes, the biggest thing for most people, and Rashmi, it's not that everyone is like that. A lot of people have gone into fear mode. They're operating from extreme fear, you know, their anxiety, fear and all have increased, but at least they can talk about it because they don't feel le- left out or they don't think that people would make fun of them or whatever they previous things used to be right so that yeah so one is that one is that people can talk about it and the third thing I feel which is the greatest um at least for me which has come from the pandemic is that people have started learning live one day at a time if not live at the moment but realize that they really have no control over life they have to learn to flow eventually right so I feel yeah so whether you're operating from connection and love and everything or you're on the other side of pandemic where you have fear of disease illness losing loved ones which is also very just um but this one thing is common for all that you have no control over life learn to flow learn to flow so i think yeah these things for me are the signs of the pandemic, the outcomes.
0: <laughs> Learn to flow.
1: And how has your reflections in the pandemic been, Sahar? So, you know, I'm someone who doesn't understand fear. Okay. You know, I can understand stress a little bit. Before I used to have a lot of stress, but now the Sahar we are talking now doesn't really much have stress. But fear I could never understand, not even as a child. Nothing would make me fearful. So, but what else has come up for me is that the pandemic helped me realize that I recognize all the places where it was a one-way connection, where I was the one who was keeping the connection. I was the one who was discounting and this, you know, discarding herself in order to keep those connections, right? And I also, um, and many deeper layers of my own emotional body, let's say there are certain grief I have not dealt with. there are certain um, you know let's say traumas I had not dealt with and they all showed up because I started working with a lot of people who were working from fear and they were traumatized by the loss of someone they had grief and every time we work with someone something gets triggered so Mm -hmm. for me it was uh, to let go of those emotions who was making Sahar be the Sahar as a therapist I have, you know. So once I have let go of those things, I feel I'm in a much more expansive state of being, you know, like more free, more in the flow, kind of quite uh, in surrender mode, I would say.
0: And that is one of the most beautiful modes to be in, the surrender yeah. mode, because there's nothing you are taking control of and uh, yeah. you're just being. And I think, Yeah being is the best place of being
1: <laughs> I know <laughs> it's so difficult to explain what does yeah. it mean really right? because it's supposed to be experienced
0: yeah exactly uh, I know with all that you have shared and what you have seen there are many life lessons that you take but can you share three the top three life lessons that you'd like to leave us with Sahar uh, which you think have really influenced you and made you who you are? Uh,
1: Yeah, so one would be uh, never compare yourself with anyone, whether in personal or professional space, Uh, just be you. There is no competition because no one can ever be like you. Second is that wherever we are, we are at the best possible combination the universe has, could have brought us to. So even if it feels ugly or painful, this could be the best. And the reason for that is I'm not shooting my mouth because I'm a coach, but there is a logic to it. Because the universe or the creator or God or whoever you want to think or call is incapable of creating pain for you is incapable of seeing you miserable, is incapable of bringing you to a bad place. So it means you're at the best place. It's just that you don't have awareness of it, right? So this is the second one. And the third one is that um, just be a better version of you every day in terms of being authentic. And for me, being authentic is about knowing what I'm doing, where I'm doing, how I'm doing, why am I doing and then if I feel that it's an uncomfortable space, for some reason, I'm not honest or authentic. I'm not talking about the world. That's another story. But at least with myself, then I at least decide to become better. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I think these are the three top things that I would want to share. And I feel if you, if you have these three pillars and you have no other pillar, you will still thrive.
0: Wow, you will still thrive. Okay, there's a question that comes with the last life lesson that you said about authenticity. Uh, Because for me, authenticity and vulnerability go together. And when you're being vulnerable, you're being judged. How do you let go of that fear of being judged and be vulnerable? Because it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable. And uh, when you're meeting so many people, how do you draw the lines of where can I be vulnerable? Does it come from within or is it something that you can work on? How do you make sure the two go together?
1: So, uh, I think uh, the strength to see when for, to be vulnerable, you need two things, two ingredients. One is the strength to be out there, and also the courage to carry it forward, you know. So, I feel these two come from a space of having absolute. Trust in yourself that no matter where and how weak my legs will go and where I would be and how disapproving my vulnerability would be, I still have the strength not to let anyone take uh, advantage of it. My weakness is my weakness and I'm sharing it because I honor my being and I want to be honest with myself. Right. And now that doesn't give the permission to anyone to take advantage of it. So you need the strength for that. And then you need courage because you need to carry this forward. If once you're vulnerable or twice you're vulnerable and you feel horrible about it because of the judgments, then you can't take it forward. Right. Then you become more miserable that now I have made a fool out of myself. Right. So I think if you have these two things and then you're very sure that, okay, this is my weak point but uh, i am strong enough not to let anyone take advantage of it and as far as judgment judgment goes you know even we are very judgmental about everyone else and whenever people judge us basically they're trying to tell us what we think about ourselves they're a projection of our own judgment on us that's why we say if you change yourself your environment will change because how i see myself i'll force the environment to show it like a mirror to me right So I don't think we should care. If I'm me judging myself, then I need to change. (laughs) The better, the sooner the better, right?
0: So true, so true. And what a beautiful way to tell us that uh, healing, acceptance, everything happens inside out. Thank you, Sahar. Thank you so very much for giving us these beautiful gems so simply. Like I said, conversations with you, are so deep and yet so simple. It's only after we finish that there's so much to dissect further than that because you've said it all so simply, but it's not the surface level. And that beauty is what makes you that much more. One of the most beautiful people I have met thanks to the pandemic, if not for virtual sessions, I think I would have never met you. And uh, I'm so thankful to the universe and thankful to you for having agreed to be on you and i with rashmi shetty it has been a pleasure and honor thank you so much for sharing who you are and for me you have become multifold beautiful than the sahar i knew at the outset of this conversation god bless you sahar
1: thank you rashmi deeply grateful for meeting you and then for you having me on your show thank you
0: With that, we come to the end of this weekly quest of You and I with Rashmi Shetty. Do let us know if you know people who make the world beautiful. Write in to rashmi.thethirdeye at gmail.com. That is R-A-S-H-M-I dot T-H-E-T-H-I-R-D-E-Y-E at gmail.com. Come. Let's explore this amazing world together, both you and
1: I.